Amen. All right. I'm in trouble later. Pray for me. I'm just kidding. All right. Stand with me if you will. Stand with me if you will. I'm going to talk today um, just a message called The Vision Quest. And I think it'll make sense as we go into this. I preach from this same passage at the first part of the year, a message called The New Look for 2018. And I was looking back through my notes and realized I used this passage. But this will be a little different uh, twist on it and kind of a mid-year update on this. But I want to talk about the vision quest. Everybody say the vision Vision. quest. Or I'll say it this way. Say say there's a quest quest. for vision. vision. Right? So vision... While God can show us things in a moment, vision is something that really, it grows stronger through our relationship with him as we walk it out. Amen? There have been certain things God showed me in a moment, but I didn't understand the fullness of it until I walked with him and with that vision and season. So we're going to talk about that. And I'll ask you this. How many of you would like your vision to be stronger for your life, for your family, right? To, to see not only... Uh, vision on a macro level, which is the big picture of what God has called us to, but also the vision of God on a micro level, which is what's the first step I need to take to get down the road. Amen. Everybody say vision Vision. is in my nature. So every believer has in their nature the ability to be a visionary, right? So let's look at some scriptures and I'll let you be seated and we'll dive into this. John chapter 5 Verse 19 says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. This is interesting, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Everyone say this. Say every miracle that Jesus did was the result of him seeing the Father do it first. Right, so the key to Jesus' walk with God is he saw what the Father was doing, and then he just did it. He did not have to make up a direction. He did not have to create a miracle. Jesus, as a man, walked the same way that we walk. A man anointed of the Holy Spirit, dependent on the Holy Spirit, and for the purpose of showing us how we should live. So that none of us have to create a life purpose. We just have to discern the one that's already there. None of us have to create a miracle. We just have to develop our sight to see what the Father is doing. And then do what he's doing and heaven begins to be released. Amen? On the job, as a father, as a husband, whatever role you play, that's the principle. All right. So that's why Paul wrote uh, to the church at Ephesus. He said this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Watch what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Everybody say revelation Revelation. means revealing. Right? So revelation doesn't create something. It reveals something that's already there. Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what you're called to, What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the the saints? What is your ability to fulfill that calling? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So it is the will of God that we see in three areas. Number one, that we would see the hope of his calling. Everyone say, God wants me to see his purpose for my life. 
right? So God's not hiding it. He wants to reveal it. Amen. Everybody say number two. He wants me to see every resource that is needed to fulfill that purpose. So God never leads you in a direction that he does not provide every resource for you to accomplish it. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's sometimes we just don't see it. Because sometimes the resources we are looking for are not the ones God has provided. And so we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see how God has brought that resource to come to pass. Amen? The problem is not creating what we need. It's seeing what is already there. And then number three, and I'm going to let you be seated here in a second, but I got a little few detours here, is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Everyone say, God wants me to see the power available to me on a daily basis. Because how many of you realize if you're going to walk in the purpose of God for your life, you're going to need a power beyond yourself? In fact, be seated and we'll walk through the be seated. Uh, because I don't want to rush this. Uh, but someone once said that God would never call, ask you to do something that you cannot do. Not true. God will always call you to do something way beyond your ability. Right? And, and so, you know, when Peter is going to walk on water, Peter in his own ability cannot walk on water. So that statement cannot be true. God will never ask you to do something that you are not able to do. Uh, he will always ask you to do something that is impossible for you in the natural, but very possible in the supernatural. And so what God wants us to begin to see, part of faith is us seeing not only the purpose that God has called us to, but also seeing that there is power and ability to accomplish what I'm called to do if I'll just step out. So many people... Uh, miss moments because they might sense the direction of God in an area, but then they check their abilities and they look at what they have and disqualify themselves because they don't see there's a supernatural ability to bring that thing to pass. Amen? So everyone say, God wants me to have vision. I'm taking a little bit of time here because I think when sometimes we have loaded words. Everybody say loaded words. So loaded words are when someone says a word and you think you know the totality of it because you've heard it preached about it before or taught about before. And often when we talk about vision, uh, we immediately in our minds define that word vision as the purpose of God kind of long term for my life. And that's true in part. But the vision that God has for us is more than just a macro big picture vision of what he's called me to do. It also has this capability of a microvision where I know the next step of what he's asking me to do. It also is the ability to see power on the inside of me that I would not normally discern to accomplish what he's called me to do. Let's walk through it. There is vision to know the hope of my calling. That's the big picture. Then there's vision to know what? The next thing he says, the uh, resources, right? The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? He says, I want to open the eyes of your understanding to recognize the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. One of the things that's not talked about often is this, is that a lot of times the resources you need to fulfill your vision aren't even in you. They're in the saints. So there, sometimes we can have a broad vision, but then we need resources to accomplish it. And we don't recognize that the resource for what I need to accomplish might be in someone else. The, the riches are in the saints. That's why the enemy fights relationships, divine relationships. Because one can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand. Because the power of agreement takes more than just me, myself, and I. 
And so the enemy will come and many times fight relationships because what I need to fulfill my calling, part of it is in Steve. And what Steve needs to accomplish his calling, part of it is in me. Amen? That's what the scripture says. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened that we might understand the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory, resources to accomplish it, of his inheritance in the saints. Anybody getting anything out of this? And then thirdly is that we might know the exceeding greatness of his power towards them who believe. Because if I've got a long-term goal of something God's put in my heart, I am going to need power to accomplish it. Because any vision from God will be, mark it down, will be attacked. In fact, if there's an area in your life that you have a goal and it's not being attacked, I would check on it to make sure it is of God. Because if the enemy doesn't fear it, God probably hasn't said it. But if God has said something about your life, whether it's through the written word or a spiritual word, all of hell will come to fight against what God has called you to. That's why we need power. Somebody say amen. That's why Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When I need power not only to fulfill the big picture of that vision, but every step along the way. Somebody say amen. amen. So that's not my message, but just throw it out there. All right, so here's my text. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. I'm going to walk down through this passage and bring out what I believe are some principles as to the quest of vision. The process, the journey towards having God not only reveal a vision to me, but getting it into my spirit where it matures to the point where you remember the scripture, the Bible says that Habakkuk said, write that vision so that he that run it, readeth it may run, right? Vision is not only to be received, it's to be inculcated to become part of our spirit until we're literally running it out and inspiring those around us to run it out. Amen? Amen. Parents need to be people of vision. As a dad, you need to have a vision for your life that inspires the next generation. Amen? And so we'll look at that and look at this passage and kind of draw some principles out. So let's read it first. Then Jesus came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him. And they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of town. And when he had spit in his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and he made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Everybody say the vision quest. Okay, I want to just kind of walk through some basic principles. And I'm not going to take long here, but we'll throw out some uh, essential principles of vision. Number one, everyone say what I see matters. Not in the natural, but in the spirit. What I see matters. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. He that keepeth the law, happy is he. Uh, The Amplified Translation says, where there is no widespread revelation, the people cast off all restraint. Can I tell you that one of the, if not the principal issue in our generation, particularly in America, is that we have a generation without vision, without the right type of vision. 
The reason why we see such a moral uh, sliding in our culture is we are missing vision. When young people in the kingdom lose vision, they end up living in ways that are contrary to the scripture. When 50-year-olds lose a vision for their life. You know, listen, I'm going to tell you, the midlife crisis, we deal with the behavior at the root of the midlife crisis is if you've lost some vision for your life, you don't see something for your life. You know, so no one, you know, just finds himself with their secretary at 50 without first having a backsliding in their heart. And the backsliding is, the, is at the root of what? They've lost a vision for their life. God doesn't seem real. It's not fresh. It's not powerful. What we see matters. God gives us vision, number one, to see new things. Everybody say new things. The Bible says, Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I will do a... How many thank God for new things? But do you know the Bible also indicates that God doesn't only give us vision for new things. Sometimes he gives us vision to see what's already there in new ways. I wish I could get an amen. Sometimes we're looking for a new thing and God's saying, I'd really like to, in this season, cause you to see an old thing in a new way. Because sometimes before we can get to a new thing, we've got to walk through the process of having a new perspective on an old thing. Before, before Joseph can rise to the place of second in command in Egypt, he's got to walk through an old prison cell. And it's the will of God. It's the will of God. I think part of our problem in our modern church culture is, is we treat God like a genie. and want, We want him in a snap of the finger to make all of our blessings come true. What was To make all of our wildest dreams come true. But God's not Pedro. Did everybody miss that? Did anybody see Napoleon Dynamite? I make all your wildest dreams come true. God's more concerned with our character development than he is many times with a new thing being added. And so to see what's already there in new ways. The scripture says, behold, I make all things new. I know you want a new teenager, but God wants you to believe that the one you have can be made new. <laughs> he said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. I want to take a few minutes, and I just want to walk down through this passage. And I believe there are some key principles in this passage that shows us the way that God begins to work in our lives to bring us on a journey to begin to see new things and to see old things new and to see the vision of God become strong in our spirit. The first thing is this, number one, number one. The quest to see, number one, is this. I'll see this from the passage. It usually begins with a they, unsung heroes that love us enough to lead us to Jesus. Did anybody else notice when you read the passage that Jesus didn't just find this man? He comes to town and they bring him to Jesus. Let's look at the passage. Look at the scripture. This man needs to see. Next slide. 
He came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him. I think when we get to heaven and judgment day takes place, we're going to be surprised at who gets the greatest rewards. I think there are names that we will expect to get the greatest rewards. And I just have a sneaking suspicion that there's going to be some folks we never heard of that are rewarded in great ways. Because they didn't do it for their name to be known. They didn't do it from a platform. They they weren't looking for 100,000 Instagram followers. They were just part of the they. They were just those that said, you know what? I know a blind man and I know Jesus. I've had an experience with Jesus. I've heard about this man named Jesus. But I've also got a friend, a blind man over here, that if I could just get those two connected... We make this thing too difficult. We, and we're getting ready to have a conference, and we're going to do this. And I believe God's going to bring encounters. But can I tell you this? We don't need an Ignite every week to see the kingdom come to pass. We just need some days to re- recognize the power that is in their life. I think, listen, everyone in this room came to Jesus because of a they. It might have been your mama. It might have been your daddy. It might have been somebody down the street. It might have been a praying grandma. It might have been a friend at school. But everyone in this room that has come to Jesus... Has come because of an unnamed hero. You might not talk about them. They might not be on the cover of Charisma. They might not be on TV. They might not have a million Instagram followers. But you know what? They did one thing that changed your life. They grabbed your hand and said, I know someone that can change your life. What am I talking about today is this. I want to encourage you to not think about the move of God as something that others do, but to recognize what God is getting ready to do is going to be an army of unnamed, uncelebrated often heroes that will take whatever time is necessary, whatever they need to do to follow their spirit and say, I know somebody that needs Jesus and you know what? I'm going to be a part of the they. Somebody say amen if you believe that today. I I think that What excites me most about the Ignite conferences and things like that is not even what's going to happen in the room. It's what happens before the room. It's like I saw Amari last night. He's walking down through that through that uh, Pickerington Palooza, and he's going up to young men saying, "You got to come out to this conference. Do you know about Jesus?" That excites me as much as what we're going to do on Thursday night because it's the they that is being activated. Somebody say Amen. I look around this room and I look back there at Heather back there has invited so many young people brings them into her home and doesn't want and probably hating me right now for talking about this but I'm gonna call her they out and and there have been young people that have come to Jesus just because she said you know what I might not have a platform but I got a car and I've got food and we've got room in our house and you know what you're saying you're saying they brought a blind man to him and there are young people in the kingdom today because she just did what they do oh man I think I got a message coming on. Do what they do. Not what they do. Do what they do. And so if we begin to recognize the power of they, man, every single one, every minute there's opportunity for us to say, you know what? Let's bring them to Jesus. Let's get somebody to Jesus. Here's the other thing. Did you notice it wasn't just, it wasn't a he or a she. It was a they. The beauty of they is I don't have to carry the whole load. 
if it's a he, that I've got to figure all the logistics out. But if I got a crew, listen, one person's got a car, the other person's got gas money, the other person's got a hamburger, the other person's good at talking. If they could ever get together and realize we've got a power to get people to Jesus, watch this too. We're not just trying to get them to an altar, we're trying to get them on a vision quest. They didn't just bring a man to Jesus. They brought a blind man to Jesus expecting him to see. And what if we as the church begin to say, you know what? We don't all by ourselves have all the answers, but we're not just trying to get them in a building. We're trying this Thursday, this Friday, next Sunday, every youth meeting, every small group. We're trying to get people on a track where they see something they've never seen before, where their eyes begin to pop open to the realities of eternity and the call of God. I think we'd have a revolution that would completely change a nation and bring about a movement of God that would rock the world. Somebody give God praise if you believe that today. Number two, numero dos. My apologies to all the Spanish speakers. Second point, next slide. A vision quest often includes being led out of town because sometimes in order to see something new, I've got to be led to a new place. I find it interesting that Jesus, they bring this blind man to him and he says, that's awesome. Now let me take you out of this town. Could have healed him in the town. Would not heal him in the town. Because sometimes God's got to take us out of environments that are so toxic and so limiting that if he were to heal us there, that town could talk us back into what they have always known us to be. That's why the scripture says, come out from among them and be ye separate. It's not because God's trying to ruin your day. Or God's trying to break up your friendships. God says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Because there are certain seasons you've got to come out of toxic, sinful relationships in order to see something new so you can many times go back and have a new perspective with power and strength to bring about the kingdom. And so sometimes God's got to lead you out. A new place isn't always a new place of you know, real estate. It's a place of mental real estate. It's a place of new relationships. I really think this, if, if he would have healed that blind man in the town, I think the town would not have been able to accept him. And I think the town would have begun to try to talk him out of the very miracle that he just received. Because not everybody is going to be comfortable with your new thing. Not everybody is going to be comfortable with what God said about your life. Not everybody is going to be comfortable with the prophecy you got on Sunday. And when you tell them on Monday, they'll try to talk you not only out of the prophecy, but back to a place you've never been, a depression, a cycle of defeat. Because, listen, not everybody is serving God. Not everybody wants to go into the things of God. So when you get on fire, they get intimidated. And when they get intimidated, they'll take some water and try to get the fire off of your life. Why? Because listen, they're not willing to go. So sometimes God says, I've got to take you out of the ordinary, the normal to get you into a place where I can heal up your mind so you can begin to see things that you've never seen before and make you strong enough not only to see a vision, but to keep that vision. 
somebody give God praise. Number three, number three, number three. Oh. Who wants to help me? I'm just kidding. So there's a quest for vision that always involves spit in the eye. I mean, come on, Jesus, really? You remember, you remember uh, there, there were some miracles where, you know, he said, just speak the word only. I think after this miracle, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, just speak the, on, the word only and I'll be healed. <laughs> Jesus takes this man out of town. Come on up with me again. Levi, help me in the first service. He knows I'm not going to spit in his eye, so he's, he's good. <laughs> so here's a blind man. Jesus brings him out of town. And you would think he'd just pray for him, speak to the eyes. He's done that before. He spits in his eyes. Why would he spit in the eyes? This miracle is different because I believe Jesus is teaching something about the process of sight. Something about how he restores vision. In more than just the natural. And so he spits in the eye. Why would he spit in the eye? Do you know they say uh, that in a court of law, one of the strongest forms of evidence is spit. Because it contains something that identifies the spitter. How many of you have sent $69 into 23andMe to find out your history? My mom bought packets for everybody in the family. I said, really, we probably just needed one. But she loves it. I got my packet for 23 and me. I spit in a cup and I sent them $69. And then online came my story. Where I was from. Where my relatives were from. Why? Because in that spit was something I couldn't see. It was the DNA. The essence of who I was. It was passed down from my father. It was passed down from his father. It was passed down from his father. What Jesus was saying when he spit that man, in that man's eye was saying this. You don't have the ability to cure your ability to see something new in your life. You don't have the ability to see what I have for your life. But I can fix that. I can take what is deep down in me and I can get my DNA on your ability to see. Does anybody know where I'm going here with this today? We try. Listen, we call this person. We call that person. We read this book. We read The Secret. We watch Oprah. We watch Dr. Phil. We watch whoever it is. We're saying, help me understand what I'm supposed to do with my life. All the while not realizing when you got born again, the spit and the DNA of Almighty God got deep down in your spirit. And can I tell you this? You got a brand new heart that knows who you are. Everybody say it's in there. Everybody say, it's in there. And so the vision quest to truly know who you are, you don't have to go 100 miles away. Just dig deep down into your spirit to find out the heart and the character and the nature of your God. Somebody give God praise if you believe that today. And so what am I saying? I'm going to go to the next point, but we miss it because we don't understand who we are. Everyone say, in my spirit. It's a brand new heart. Yeah, I, listen, as a Christian, I'm not trying to get better. I've been made better. I'm not trying to behave at a higher level. I'm trying to discern who God has already made me to be and live out of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If I want a vision for my marriage... 
I've got to live out of the spirit of God within me. Too many marriages make the mistake of trying to find vision or strength from one another. But when I find strength from God, I can be everything I need to be. She can be everything she needs to be. And the next thing you know, we're living out of the spit. Rather than spitting and yelling. You follow what I'm saying? Vision. Say this before we go on. Say, within me is the nature of a visionary. You should never say, I'm not a visionary. You should never say, I'm not sure that I have a vision. You have the nature of the one who saw into nothing and spoke worlds and spoke generations. You have the power to look into chaos because the God that was, is in you created out of chaos and declare what he is saying. Number four, number four. This next path of seeing is the principle that it's clearest when it's empowered by two touches. So, briefly. This man has come out of town. He's still blind. Jesus has spit in his eyes. He's still blind. He still can't see. It's not until Jesus touches him. That the spit begins to do its work. I think it is possible for you, us to be born again and not see everything that God wants us to see. By the way, you do know that you were born again to see again and not just go to heaven. John chapter 3 and verse 3. Unless a man is born again, he cannot. We expect that verse to say, unless a man is born again, he will not go to heaven. That's not what Jesus said. That's true. But what Jesus actually said, unless a man is born again, he cannot. Because if all you think about is going to heaven, you miss the purpose of why you're here. I thank God that I, I thank God for the reservations. I want the reservations. After I get out of here, that's the reservation I want, heaven. But what am I going to do when I'm here? I want to see things. I want to have those moments where we're just talking and all of a sudden heaven opens up. And I begin to speak things that there's no way I could know that unless God spoke it. And freedom begins to occur. The seeing, however, doesn't happen until there's a touch. Amen. Amen. Out of the mouths of babes. Can I talk to you briefly about two touches that I believe are crucial? If we are to have the kind of clarity of vision where a generation can be changed. In some ways, I'm, I'm reading, I'm liberally applying this text, but I, I believe that there are two touches that the church has to have. That a rising generation has to have. That young people have to have if we are to see clearly. One touch was not enough. There had to be two. But you couldn't get to the second unless you first had the first. I believe the first touch necessary for vision 
is the transgenerational touch of previous generations. That's why my heart is not only to have a youth conference where we get youth into the conference and we just have youth talk to youth and there's no parents involved and the other generation, no grandparents involved and we as a church are not birthing it. Why? Because one generation cannot give vision to itself. It takes the praises of one generation to get it to the next. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Could it be that the visions they see are the dreams of the old men that are passed along? Jesus said, I don't do anything except what I see my... Paul said, he said, he wrote to uh, Timothy, he said, I'm convinced that the faith that was in your grandmother and was in your mother is now in you. There was a transgenerational blessing that occurred. There was a touch that occurred that defined vision in the generations to come. I thank God we will want to, we want to minister to children and, vi- and minister to youth, but if we merely divide and we don't have moments where we understand it takes every generation. I think they said there's five generations on the planet right now. I believe all five generations operating at the fullness of their calling and dedicated to a relationship up the chain and down the chain is what the devil fears more than anything else. Come on, somebody. That's why on Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem, listen, they, one generation got their palms and said, Hosanna to he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And everyone was fine with that. It wasn't until the Pharisees and the leaders looked up and saw Jesus do two things that they became indignant. He went into the temple and he began to heal. And when they saw the miracles and then they heard something, heard something, they heard something. They didn't hear, listen, the, the, the one generation praising God, they heard the children begin to cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Or in other words, when the praise of one generation trickled down to the next generation, when what was in the hearts of the fathers got into the heart and the, and the mouth of those who were children, there came something in the spirit that shook demonic powers. Somebody say amen. What am I telling? I'm saying if we're to have a, a generation to get a vision that will change the world, we've got to do our job. We've got to praise him when we don't feel like it. We've got to rise and intercede. We've got to live in such a way where that, listen, what God does in our life gets into their hearts. Somebody say amen. Amen. Come on, somebody give God praise. I, I begin to think about my own journey today. And I was thinking about, you know, why is it at 50, Matt, that I'm, I'm sitting here trying to do youth conferences? One reason is, is when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I saw a vision of a generation to come. I saw stadiums filled with young people weeping and crying and the power of God hitting the stadiums. I saw that vision. It has never left me. But the other reason is this. I got hungry and I started reaching out to voices from my past. I started to look for mentors. I started to look for people saying, tell us what we need to do. And their praise began to get in my spirit and define a vision that was greater than something I could come up with on my own. This represents my journey. I, I begin to look at the fact that, do you know that you can be mentored by people that you've never met? Yeah. 
I'm close to preparing my Ignite message. I'm close to taking this risk and just doing something no youth speaker ever does. Talk about books. While we're talking about books, what about this book? I wonder sometimes if we put it on the slides and we make it too easy and, and people don't develop a, a relationship with this book anymore. How many of you remember the days when you come to church and they'd say turn and you would turn and you would look at it and you would underline and what we were doing was so powerful because we begin to make this book our own and we begin to look in and don't hear me, don't be condemned today if you've got your phone or looking at the slides. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me. Could it be that God is saying this? I want you to train a generation with the things that helped you develop your vision and it wasn't just trying to get better. It was that you reached back to voices who began to speak into your life through the printed page, who begin to speak their praises so that your vision could be expanded with that first touch. Study to show thyself approved unto God. I've got some books in here, and I'm not going to talk about all of them, but, oh, John G. Lake. I, I read this one when I was like 21. This dude, I'm going to give you this book. I wasn't going to do that. I'm going to give this to you. This, yeah, he'll read it. I know he would. So this guy, I'll give it to you a second. The Lord give it, the Lord take it away. No, I'm just kidding. So, so this guy, he was a part of an Azusa Street Revival. A lot of people don't even know about this Azusa Street Revival. People that speak in tongues and move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit have no clue about this Azusa Street Revival. This movement of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and the power of God really for almost like 1,800 years, was unknown on a global scale. Until an African-American preacher, William J. Seymour, traveled to Los Angeles, California, and rented an old stable at Azusa Street on the edge of Los Angeles and began to have prayer meetings. He was so humble, they said he put his head in a box and he didn't want to be seen. He would just pray. And as he began to pray, the people started coming until they had church for like three years, 24 hours a day. And miracles began to happen. And tongues began to be poured out. And the gift of the Holy Spirit began to be poured out. And it got all over the world. Missionaries from that little movement began to spread throughout the world. You know how I found out about that? This book. What 21-year-old kid buys the Dictionary of Pentecostal and Charismatic Movements? <laughs> but I was looking for the praise of one generation to get into my heart. And I want to labor to say to young people, get this is your history. There's no vision without a transgenerational touch. I mean, really, what are we doing what are we doing in America in the church today? I mean, we, we come in and we have shows and we have nice messages and sometimes we feel a little bit of the presence of God. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about in general. And we end up having church light and wonder why we have a generation that does not understand that marriage is between a man and a woman. Wonder why we, do, we have a generation that does not understand that sin is sin, that you can't do certain things and call yourself a Christian. It's because we have not created an environment where the first touch of the previous generation, I'm talking about the giants in the spirit. I'm talking about those that got into the word and preached the word and wrote about the word and prayed until the power came so that we can have a generation that knows who they are. A first touch from God. 
John G. Lake was a millionaire in 1907. Businessman in Chicago, hungry for God. Sold it all, walked away from it after he came to those Azusa Street meetings. He came to those meetings and he said he experienced the power of the Holy Spirit that came like electricity through his body. And he left it all and went to South Africa with nothing and started a ministry in a church of 10,000 people just came to pass. His anointing, though, was so unique and his mind was so analytical that there are stories that he wanted to understand how it worked. Now, I'm reading this stuff when I'm 21 and said, I didn't hear about this in church, but it expanded my vision. He understood there was an anointing that when he prayed for people, legitimate miracles would occur. So there was a plague that was happening at that point in Africa. And he, he said, now don't do this unless God tells you to do this. Don't do this. God probably won't tell you to do this. Maybe he will. I don't know. That's between you and God. <laughs> but he, he said the Holy Spirit told him, he said, to go to those doctors and scrape some of that foam off of this plague. Because people would foam at the mouth as dying. Scrape it off and put it in his hand. And he said, when you put it in my hand, put it under a microscope. And he did it when they put his, his hand under the microscope. Those, that disease, they could see it beginning to die in his hand. And he told them, it's the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I found out about that because the praise of one generation through this book began to talk to me about what was powerful. What am I saying today? We need to get serious about this touch in our own life. Come on, when's the last time we read a book and said, God, I want something of the next generation to get in my spirit to stir my faith again. Why is it that when we get down, we look to Dr. Phil, we look to Oprah, we look to the internet, we look to Yahoo, we look to uh, people who have no power in their life to change us. Rather than saying, God, I'm going to go back and I'm at least, if I can't find him, I'm going to dig deep down into my spirit and I'm going to remember the praises of old. I'm going to let the praises of one generation get back into my mouth so my vision can get back on track. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody pray, say amen. amen. Oh, it's still in the car. I have a Bible. It was Rich's Bible. Sometimes I just get that Bible out. As I begin to read it, things he poured into my life begin to encourage my life again. Come on, the praises of one generation begin to strengthen us. I may thank God for that today. The second touch, oh, I'm over time, is the firsthand revelation of God. There was a first touch where he saw, but not clearly. But when he touched him again, he saw every man clearly. He couldn't get to the second touch until he first had the first touch. But you know what I'm believing for? A generation that gets a first touch. Where the church knows who it is. Knows where it's come from. Pours into this generation. 
but then says, let us introduce you to the one that can give you a firsthand revelation of God for yourself. Because if we have a generation that merely has heard our stories or the stories of previous generations, but has not pressed into God for themselves, they will see, but it will not be clear. In fact, the Bible says that they saw men like trees walking. You know what I think that speaks of? Men like trees walking is I see people as what they can provide for me. Because what a tree produces is fruit. And if I see people like trees walking, I will view you as what can you do for me. I will do, view Davis, how can you feed me? How can you look to me? If we don't raise a generation that has the second touch, we will raise an entitled generation that mirrors the culture and never presses in to the place of responsibility where they begin to give back. I'm telling you, what's going to break? I feel the Holy Ghost. What's going to break the spirit of this culture? culture of narcissism and entitlement. And it's not just 18 and 19 year olds. It's 50 year olds and it's 60 year old. Listen, it's a whole culture that's based on what can you do for me? We have churches now building on this. We want to build the best building because we want to attract you. What do you want? What type of classes do you want? Do you want me not to preach this? I won't touch that if you don't want that. Why? Because we are, listen, we are building a culture where men like trees walking. Whereas if we're some sort of mall, some sort of consumer driven kingdom, can I tell you the kingdom is not driven for consumers. It has been created to save us from the narcissism, to bring us to the point where we are responsible, full grown. It wasn't when, listen, when he got the second touch, all of a sudden he saw all men clearly. Men did not exist for what they could give him. I believe now he saw men as made in the image of God that he could now serve, that he could now respect. You want to break the racial war in America? Let's get saved saved again. Let's get the church to a place where we break that spirit in the church. Let's get to the point where we recognize it's not the color of our skin. It's not our socioeconomic status. It's not where we live, how much is in the bank account. We recognize every human being is created in the in the image of a living God. And when I have a firsthand encounter with God, I begin to see that his heart reaches and respects and lifts up every person. And then the church gets right and begins to have a mission where we lift up a generation because we love those that God loves. I got to shut it down, but I'm telling you this spirit of manipulation over our ch the church in America is being broken. I want, when I walk out of this life, to look back and say, God, I wasn't perfect, but, I, but you helped me do this. Get people to have a first-hand revelation of you for themselves. Because you know what happens when Levi gets a first-hand revelation of God for himself? No professor can take that away. No friend can take that away. No temptation can take that away. He Listen, the devil can't bring something better because there is nothing better than a firsthand revelation of God. He's got something in his spirit. I can tell you because it was me. What changed my life was when I, at 18 years of old, sat in a 1984 Chevy Cavalier wagon with a dent in the back, and the spirit of the living God came in that moment and told me who I was and lifted me up. What I felt like out of my body. 
body. And I knew that he was real. I knew that his call was on my life. I didn't have to have somebody encourage me to that. Not that I've not needed encouragement, but I'm telling you, I've never doubted his presence since that moment. I've never doubted that he's called me since that moment. And my prayer is this. We need a generation. And it's up to us in this generation to pray and to insist upon it and to bring them to the place where God can become the God of Abraham, becomes the God of Isaac, becomes the God of Jacob. Somebody give God a praise if you believe that today. If we can talk them into a belief, the devil can talk them out of it. But listen, the person with an argument is always at the mercy of a person with an experience. When I was as a freshman to Ohio State, sat in the classes and heard the philosophical arguments as to why God might not exist, why abortion might be best in some circumstances, there was some spit in my eyes that caused me to see clearly that that wasn't right. And I remember going up to a professor afterwards, smartest guy in the room. I said, I get what you're saying, but you don't understand. I've had an experience. And I actually told a professor, I said, in a 1984 Chevy Cavalier wagon with a dent in the back. I had long hair. I'm a long-haired freak-looking kid, but I'd had an encounter with God. I said, I felt God come into that car. I felt him lift me up out of my spirit. I heard the voice of Jesus begin to tell me that I was loved, that he had called me. And I said, I, I get all those sophisticated arguments, but I've had an experience with the living God that loves you and wants to change your life. And I'm telling you, you can know him too. In other words, when it came at me, there was no question, am I going to sway? My faith was strong because it was built not on the intellectual persuasive arguments of men. It was built on the fact that I had an experience with the presence of God myself that I could not deny. And I listen, I'm getting ready to close, but I feel this in my spirit. I declare it over Ignite this week that we will have young people that will have an experience with God that they cannot deny. Come on, where's our faith at? Are we just bringing them to a conference for two days because it seems like a church thing to do? That's our problem. That's just a youth conference and Lord, let it go well. I'm not praying it goes well. I'm praying we spark a revolution. I'm praying the Holy Ghost comes in that room. I'm praying that God comes and shakes young men's like Levi with a calling and a fire that cannot be denied. I'm praying young people are out under the power for hours seeing visions of heaven and of hell and hearing the voice of God. Oh, I know this is the way you're not supposed to have church. That's why we're doing it. Because I refuse to go down the path of being a nice little movement that the devil can coexist with. We've not been called to coexist with the devil. We've been called to dislodge him, to move him out, to take back everything that God has brought to pass through the blood. Somebody say amen. So that's why I'm fighting for Levi. He's already in. I'm fighting for his destiny. I'm not just fighting for him to live right. I'm fighting for him to see something. 
I'm fighting for him to be a more powerful preacher than I ever could be. I want him to see more miracles than we ever could see. I want him to raise the dead. I want what I've read about concerning, listen, concerning Finney, concerning Cho, concerning Wigglesworth. Listen, God didn't give us that vision for it merely to be a nice little thing we talk about on a Sunday. It's supposed to come to us, to go through us, and get in the next generation to storm the gates of hell. Somebody give God praise. First hand. First hand. I got to close. Never forget. You say, do you just preach this or do I try to live this? I can take you back. You see Jordan up here. He's all nice and cute. But do you remember when he got his first hand revelation of God? PKs have it worse. All this pressure on them. It's easy to begin to develop ways of performing rather than having genuine, authentic experiences with God. But I can take you back to the point where Jordan, on Easter Sunday, I think it was 2010, at the bridge where they did a play. Ty Savage was just a savage in this play. I was asked to get him, give the altar call. I got him, gave the altar call. People came forward, and I looked over, and there's Jordan. He starts weeping, and he starts crying. And he wept and cried until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Wept, cried, laughed. Wept, cried, laughed, shook. Took him to my mom's house for Easter. He couldn't stop shaking, couldn't stop laughing, couldn't stop crying. Has God done work in his life since then? Absolutely. Has God deepened the vision since then? Absolutely. But that moment I knew in my heart, thank you, God, you've given him. Don't let the faith of one generation merely be a story to the next. God, let there be a first-hand revelation of God in the next generation. Lord, let there be a transfer. I knew at that point God had something to work with. I'll never forget Sarah. I just 12 years old. Took her to a wave meeting. Danny Ortiz, one of my best buddies, did these crazy wave meetings. And I think they had, they were expecting hundreds, I think, that night, and they had like 40 or 50. Looked like a disappointment. Him and Mike Red. Remember Mike Red, who played basketball for Ohio State in the NBA? On fire man of God. Will love and appreciate him till the day I die because I was there. When in his passion for God, he prayed for my daughter. She fell back on the floor and began to pray in tongues, begin to weep and cry in tongues, begin to have an experience with God. And I looked and said, firsthand revelation. Small attendance, big impact. I wonder if sometimes we're looking for big attendance and we sacrifice high impact. God says, just give me an atmosphere where I can have a first-hand encounter with the next generation. Parents, don't stop praying for a first-hand encounter. 
Grandparents, don't you stop praying for a firsthand encounter with God. I'm telling how many you believe that God will do it. I'm telling you, God will do it. My last point is this, and I'm not going to preach it, but it might not even be up there. It's nice mountains. <laughs> I preached so long that pro presenter quit me. The last point was this. Uh, don't go back to town. Jesus heals this blind man. He's looking at him. He sees all things clearly. He says, hey, one more thing. Go home, but don't go back to town. The quest for vision, and, and let me say this, and I'll just say this, and I, and I know we've got to go, but I, I want you to get this. I believe there is a testing moment in the life of every vision where you have the choice to go back. Because vision is hard. Jesus says, now that you can see, don't go back to an environment where they'll talk you out of it. And he shut the door. I believe there's a moment where we settle it and say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm in the ship. I'm in this vision. I'm moving forward. And when you shut that door, there's a strength and a power to mature and bring it to pass. How many of you believe that today? Stand with me if you will. I hope somebody got something out of this today. Let's lift our hands and say this. Say, Jesus, let your vision for our life, for my life, let it be strong. I'll not be anxious. Just look at me very quickly. How many of you know, and I just want to say this, God never imparts vision through anxiety. Some people hear things like this, say, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? And you're anxious. God always leads through peace. And so let's lift our hands and say this. Say, Jesus, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You're taking every piece of my life, every disappointment, every screw-up, every victory, and you're working something. You're showing me things. So, Lord, let the praise previous generations. Let it get in my spirit. Give me firsthand revelations, firsthand encounters with the Holy Spirit that will cause me to see purpose, opportunities, who you are clearly. And Lord, I make a decision. I'm not going back. I'm at pressing forward to apprehend that for which God has called me. Now let's pray this prayer together. If you've never prayed this prayer, let's all pray it together. Say, Lord Jesus, without you, I'm a hopeless sinner. I'm lost without you. But I believe you died for my sins. You were buried for my sins. And you were raised from the dead so that I could be saved. I believe in my heart that you were raised for me. And I confess with my mouth, you're the Lord of my life. I receive it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Somebody give God praise if you believe that today.